Good morning and welcome to Remarock Church. We are blessed to have you all here today. We're blessed to be here on this beautiful day. Man, isn't it amazing when you drive up the hill to this church or down or wherever you come from, how beautiful God's creation is. We just want to thank him for that today. Amen. So welcome. Let's do this. our revelation study. We're going to ask the eye for this one. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I want to see. You want to see him this morning? Come on, lift it up. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Holy, holy, holy. 
of earth. Sing it one more time. And the things of earth will grow strange, strangely Be seated. Donna Wilkin, he's going to do a little welcome for us here. Well, I don't do anything by myself. I don't do anything by myself, so here we are. <laughs> My name is Donna Wilkening, and I'm a member of the Prayer Shawl Ministry. Not all of us are here, but um, I just want to welcome everybody this morning and this beautiful winter morning. Also, um, visitors, please fill out the connection card that's in the front pocket, in front of your, your chair, and uh, take it back to the uh, Welcome Center and they have a small gift for you. Uh, we have a new uh, Revelation series that's starting today. How exciting is that? And the study guides are on tables out in the foyer. You know all those things you lost this year? Well, we found some of them. So we would like you to reclaim them, and they're back on a, a table in the foyer also. Uh, we have new community groups starting this week, and they're all listed out in your bulletin. First step, those of you who are really are new to uh, Rimrock, join us on the first step uh, on, at 10.30 but on January 22nd, so a couple weeks going. And there's more information in your bulletin on that too. And there's a sign-up sheet back at the uh, desk in the Welcome Center. Well, like I say, I'm Donna Wilkening, and um, I'm a member of the Prayer Shawl Ministry, which was started at Rimrock a little over four years ago. We have given out over 110 prayer shawls and a prayer lap blankets. And um, who do we give these to? Well, first of all, what is it? What is a shawl? What is a lap blanket? Um, shawls that are lovingly made, knit, crocheted, or woven out of a soft, comforting yarn. They're prayed over by the person that is making it. And then they're wrapped around someone who needs the comfort only the Lord can provide. Prayer shawls are a vehicle through which hurting people can feel the loving arms of Jesus. Just a reminder of how much he loves them. We have uh, lots of people that are hurting. And um, I, I just have to apologize that we haven't been able to um, reach everybody here that has had a hurt that they needed a prayer shawl or, or a lap blanket for. And we're going to try to do better, uh, just communication-wise, so that we can reach. And we, and we need you to help us do that, um, to communicate to us and let us know, let the church know, but let us know um, how we can uh, minister to these people. Our, um, our shawls and lap blankets have gone um, through the congregation. They've gone out into the community with people that are not members of our, of our congregation, and we, and we love that. Um, they've gone to Nebraska, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, uh, Nevada, Texas, Romania. We had a, a, a shawl that was requested to go to a Muslim in Romania. 
And so she took it to him. Costa Rica, Passages, if you're familiar with Passages, it's a home for women when they um, leave prison and want to start a new life. And uh, they get them jobs, they, they have housing, they do Bible studies. And when they complete six months of that program, we have been blessed to bless them with a shawl. We go to their meeting, we uh, wrap the shawl around them, we pray with them, we cry with them, we hug them, and it's been um, just a really, really good, good experience for all of us. We also, when we give prayer shawls away, we do these beautiful cards that Audrey Brooks makes. And it, these um, cards, the reason we love giving Audrey's cards is because nobody throws these away. And so they will, they will get the message. And the message is, this shawl was created especially for you with love and prayers. May God, who knit you together in your mother's womb, renew you this day and give you hope. Psalms 139.13. May this prayer shawl be a sign of Christ's healing presence. May it warm you when you are weary. May it encircle you with love. When you wear this shawl, may you feel the loving arms of your Father and Jesus holding you. The mission statement of our um, prayer shawl is um, to glorify God through the creation and gifting of the shawls, that each recipient will be renewed, strengthened, and blessed by the shawls to enable those of us who move too fast to slow down and prayerfully create what God has planned for us. We also are benefits of this ministry. It, all of us would say that. Um, our prayer is, Lord, I come before you and request that you may use my hands as the instrument of your healing power in the spirit and the flesh. I pray that the recipient of this shawl will be touched by your love and amazing grace, that he or she will feel the blessings and prayers that were knitted, crocheted, and woven into this shawl. May the recipient be comforted and folded in warmth and be touched deep within his or her heart that maybe all of this may be done for your glory, Lord. Um, we have a table in the back that has shawls on it and it has information. We would love to have more people join us. We started out with uh, uh, 10 girls and some have moved, some have come. We started with a 12-year-old. <laughs> so please, anybody that wants to join us, we would love to have it. Our, our emphasis is on prayer. The shawls are just the vehicle. So if you don't knit and you just wanna come pray over these shawls, we meet on the first Thursday of every month at one o'clock at Rimrock downtown. Now I would like to have, uh, Jan has a testimony. She received a shawl. Yes, my name is Janet Voigt, and my husband Kurt and I attend uh, downtown campus, and um, that's a reason you probably haven't seen me around. Uh, I've been struggling with some health issues, and at the time, probably two, three months ago, I was um, just being passed around from doctor to doctor, and I was very frustrated. So when Donna called, and it was in September, I think, and asked, she could bring me a prayer shawl. It moved me to tears. 
It meant so much to me to know that a group of ladies took the time to make these shawls, I don't want to cry, and at the same time to be praying for the person who would receive this shawl. And they don't know who will receive it, but God knows. And after Donna called me a couple days ago and asked if I'd give a brief testimony of what my prayer shawl meant to me, I went and picked up my prayer shawl, put it on, and as I felt the warmth of the shawl, I sensed the heartfelt prayers of those that were poured into these shawls. This shawl is a good reminder to me that I'm in the arms of my Heavenly Father. I'm wrapped in his arms. And I just want to thank you for this beautiful ministry. I know you're touching the hearts of many, many people because you've touched my heart. And a couple of scriptures that have really helped me through this time, because I'm still going through some issues, is Psalms 31:14, where it says, I will trust in the Lord. He is my God. My times are in his hands. And then Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in me. I just thank you for this ministry. It's an awesome ministry, and it really encouraged and helped me. Thank you. And all right. If I can just ditto what Jan just said. I just knew I was giving this testimony 10 minutes ago. Um, in August of last year, last my father... And Donna um, asked and, and brought a shawl for both my mom and I. And it was just that uh, this is not the shawl because, again, I didn't know or I brought the one that I actually have. Uh, it's very long. It was probably the biggest one they had, and it was so perfect. Um, I lay it over me each morning and uh, when I'm doing my quiet and devotion time. And it is just that. It is the warmth of the Father. It's the covering it's the prayers woven into it that are still going on. And uh, it does bring so much comfort um, to know that people are praying and the body of Christ is loving. And um, so I just am so thankful for this ministry as well. Uh, it, it's awesome. So thank you. And with that, we'll leave the stage. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, we're going to teach you a new song this morning. This is kind of our theme song for the Revelation series, and in God's perfect timing, this song came across uh, my computer uh, a little bit ago, and so we just want to Teach it to you and make it our thing. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the who've gone before us and all who will believe sing the song of angels to the name your name is the highest your name is the greatest your name stands above them all 
Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for being on the throne.
God, you are holy. You are so far above us, and yet you reach down to touch us individually, God. You are amazing. Lord, I know that you've been speaking to Ben these past weeks about what you want us to hear, what we need to hear, God. Holy Spirit, would you fall on this place in each heart and open us to what you're trying to say to us right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Darcy. Good morning, everyone else. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, worship team. That was really special. I'm so thankful for this church. Isn't it such a blessing to see those women up here just serving Jesus with their hearts, with their prayers? I feel, I just, uh, I had a friend back in Minnesota. He was probably in his 80s, and, and uh, his name was Bill, and he would get the biggest smile, and he says, man, when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't realize that I'd run with the best crowd. <laughs> and I feel that way. It's just so awesome to be with you guys. So thankful for this church. I'm excited for 2023 and what God has in front of us. Um, just a, a heads up, uh, we uh, at Rimrock Church, we're a, a congregational church. That means uh, we, we really believe in the priesthood of all believers, that we all have a, a part in the church, and we all have a part in major decisions for the church. And many of you know, um, we're, we're still trying to figure out what it means to be one church in, in two locations, two campuses, and we have an awesome group of people downtown. You heard from Janet this morning, who's part of our downtown congregation, but, but we share one membership. We all become members of a church. We have one elder board. Um, we, uh, we have one statement of faith, and so we're, we're learning what that, what that looks like, but our downtown campus has needed a new building, so we've been searching, praying. Uh, the building we're in is too small, and it got sold, uh, so, so there's new owners. So we knew change was coming, but uh, just in the last... Uh, uh, end of last year, um, God provided a, a potential place. Um, so it's the old uh, Rapid City Journal building. Um, is being, they want to sell it to us, and so we began to sign an agreement to it. But uh, we can't, uh, as a church, we've agreed we don't purchase property unless we have a membership vote. And so uh, January 29th, we're going to have a congregational meeting. And so I just want to invite you to pray. Pray with us. If this is God's will, and this is God's place, not just for our downtown church to meet, but a big enough place where we can have gospel ministry that goes on throughout the week. And so we're praying about that. So our, our looking forward, January 29th, we feel like it may be a, a, a key time to come together as a whole church, downtown and up here, all together in one place uh, with one service. We only do that usually on Easter, but we feel like this is a big enough deal, a big enough decision that we need to come and worship together and and decide together what, what God is doing. And um, so we'll, we'll be sending out a lot of details over the next weeks. But just know that January 29th, we're wanting to come and worship. And we're wanting to do baptisms that Sunday. Because baptisms really um, are spiritually our membership into the body of Christ. Where we identify with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. The life of Jesus in us. We are his people. All right, Revelation. You guys ready? <laughs> this is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing as we look at what God has revealed. Re Revelation apocalypse, it literally means unveiling. An unveiling. 
I got to tell you, as a, a kid, I grew up in the church and uh, heard, heard a lot of messages, but I think, I think one of the things that I came away a lot of times thinking about Revelation, it, it just, in my mind, the picture was these end time maps, right? You, so you pull out the charts and it has all these dates and or things happening at different times. And so that image really stuck in my mind. And then sometimes, uh, you know, they'd ha- when I was a kid, they had all these movies coming out about the rapture and so people disappearing in the world, uh, this chaos. So I have those kind of images in my mind of, of Revelation uh, growing up. But um, over the past year, I've been... Uh, reading through Revelation again with a group of, of guys here at church, and um, this book has ministered to me in a very special way. And I believe God is going to minister to us in a really special way because, yes, there are themes of the end times. There's things that have to do with those things, but, but it's so much deeper and richer and so much more encouraging for us as the people of God. Also, it struck me differently this time, partly um, maybe because where I'm at in life. Uh, I'm um, this year starting my 20 plus years as a pastor in the local church. And so as I think about that, almost half my life has been spent pastoring in the, in the context of a local church. Um, that's changed how I read this letter because and we're going to, in a few minutes, actually read the whole first chapter of Revelation together. I want you guys to hear the words of this book. Um, But what struck me is God has given this uh, revelation to the Apostle John. And the Apostle John is one of the disciples of Jesus. Um, And uh, if you remember from the Gospel of John, um, Jesus tells John that he's going to live for a long, long time. Like he's not going to be martyred. He's not going to die young like the other apostles. So he lived the longest of all the disciples of Jesus. And we know from church history that the Apostle John became a local church pastor. So some of the disciples, apostles, became missionaries, and they went around the world. Uh, Think of the Apostle Paul. We think of Thomas. But John became a local church pastor, and we know he pastored in Ephesus. And then he became kind of an overseer and a resource for all the other pastors who were pastoring other churches. And it just really struck me and surprised me as I I dove into this book over the last year is that at the core, Revelation is a pastoral letter. This is a, a letter from a pastor to the church. But it's not just about John as a pastor. It's ultimately about God's pastoral heart the shepherding heart of God for his people. And we're going to read here in a minute that God reveals what we're going to learn about over the next weeks and months. On the Lord's day, John, as a pastor, was unable to be with the people of God worshiping like we are on a Sunday. And I, I know this because when, I, when Sunday comes, <laughs> this is where I want to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. And if there's times in life where, where I'm traveling or, or I can't be with you guys, there's something in my heart that hurts because I want to be worshiping with God's people. And I can imagine John, who's imprisoned on an island because he's a follower of Jesus. We know he's on the island of Patmos. And he can't be with the people of God worshiping God on Sunday morning. So we're told on the Lord's Day, which is a reference to Sunday, which 
is the day of resurrection. Why we gather on a Sunday? Because we remember the resurrecting power of Jesus, of God, making all things new. He couldn't be there. And so it says it's on the Lord's day. He's in the Spirit. And that's when God meets John and reveals this letter. And it's a letter to the church. It's a letter to the churches. The seven churches of Asia, which is a representation of all the churches that God has brought about. And I believe including Rimrock Church. Would you uh, join me as we read uh, this amazing letter? Uh, the chapter one, I think it'll be on the screen. If not, uh, open your Bibles or if it's on your phones. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So um, let's listen to this. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Isn't that cool? That God was thinking of us as we read this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. Is that you? Is that me? Are we listening? <laughs> and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. Verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who, wa who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, and he's freed us from our sins by his blood. That's the gospel. That's the good news. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. That's us. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Look, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering, in the kingdom, in patient endurance that is ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Perigma, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that I was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hair on his head was white, like wool, and the whitest snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire, and his feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. 
And his voice was like the voice, there was a sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth, his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And when he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive and forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. What a beautiful beginning to an incredible book that I think reveals uh, something very critical for us now, today. It's really helpful for me sometimes to orient myself. I like to hike and go in the woods. Many of you uh, enjoy the Black Hills and going out. And, and something you got to do is kind of orient yourself. Where are you <laughs> in this place? You know, where, where are the markers? Where are we? And so I just want to take a moment to orient ourselves as we go into this book. Where are we in history as we think about what we've just heard? Um, one of the beautiful things about the Bible we believe is inspired by God, that the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible. We believe it's authoritative, it's inerrant, it's inspired by God for us, it's authoritative for our lives. But it, it paints a picture of what God is doing and who God is and what he's called us to be in this world. And it's, it's the orientation for us, for all things. That's why we call it the canon. It's the measuring stick for everything else. And one of the beautiful things about how God has revealed the Bible is in the Gospels, we, we just finished the Gospel of Mark together, we're told in the Gospel of Luke about the birth of Jesus as the Messiah, fully God, fully man. We just celebrated Christmas, right? And there's something very profound that Luke does. And I, I wish uh, our Bibles were maybe put together a little differently because um, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote Acts as one book. And it's very clear. You can go read it yourself. Look at the beginning of Luke. Look at the beginning of Acts. And you will see that it's one book and it's one story. It was meant to be read together. And what we have in Luke is the, the birth of Christ. And, and Luke spends more time with the birth of Christ than any other gospel writer. And then he shows us who Jesus is, his teachings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. But Acts begins with what? The birth of the church. Because remember, Jesus ascended into heaven. The, he went up into the clouds and the disciples are looking. Where'd you go, Jesus? As he goes up in the clouds, he says, remember, he's told him, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit in you. And he's going to be with you until the very end of the age. But he said, remember, I'm coming back the same way you saw me go up in those clouds. I'm coming back out of those clouds. I'm coming back for a people. I'm coming back for my church. In Acts 1.8, we're told that this commissioning that Jesus gave his disciples in Acts 2, we're told about the birth of the church, that, that they would be witnesses of Jesus Christ until he returns. And we're told in Matthew that we're to go into all the nations and, and preach this 
message, this gospel of Jesus, and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded us. And so, where does this put us? Because in the book of Acts, what we see is the story of the Holy Spirit in the church, (laughs) in the people of God, as Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ, or the bride of Christ. And so as the body of Christ, the church becomes witnesses of the reality of who Jesus is in the world, of his death, of his resurrection, of his glory, of who he is as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what we see in Acts is the story of God's people, the church, taking that message to all nations, to all people. Here's what's cool. There's no conclusion in Acts. (laughs) It's an ongoing story. And here's where I believe we are as we orient ourselves. We're still in the book of Acts. The story of the Holy Spirit is still being written. And I've experienced it. I've seen that. I've, um, we went to India and we, we saw the very same things that God was doing in the book of Acts. He's still doing today. <laughs> and there's people in this room who've been baptized and who've received Christ and the gospel's transformed you. And you've become a new creation, a new person because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the good news about who Jesus is. And God is building his church. And as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail. The church becomes the witness of the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So if we orient ourselves, we call this the age of the church, or the age of grace. It's also been called the time of tension, of the now and the not yet. (laughs) Remember, Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, right? And so the reality of God's kingdom is present. And so what we will see is in the book of Revelation, we see the present reality of the kingdom of God. In fact, he refers to us as we, uh, as we read as a church as the kingdom of priests, right? And so the reality of God's kingdom is alive and well in his people, in the church. But it's not fully realized. And so that's why when we come into the Revelation, of this book, we begin to see that tension of time. (laughs) And it's woven throughout this book. And many people, as they've gone to interpret Revelation, have tended to look at it through the lens of time in different ways. Some people have tried to interpret Revelation through the past tense of time, a historical or preterist view. Others have looked at it from a more futurist view. And it's interesting for us as people that we're finite, that we are in time, <laughs> we have a beginning, we have a birth, we mark our lives by our birth date, right? We have a beginning, we were born, and we have a past. We can think about everything that's happened in our lives up to this point, and we're in the present together in this place at this very moment. But there's a future, and we think a lot about the future, don't we? And there's a lot of anxiety about the future. In fact, if we think about what makes us anxious? What do we worry about? Well, it's usually about things in the past or the future. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> How are things going to work out, right? We're time-bound creatures. We're finite. And so what do we do with the issue of time? It, it's complex. It's hard. It's mysterious. We struggle because we want to know what's going to happen, <laughs> and we want to interpret the past. We want to figure it out, but, but here 
I want us to step back and I want us to look and hear what God is saying through this book because I think it gives us another kind of lens. Yes, there are things in the past and yes, there is a future orientation to this book, but I want you to see something so vital, so important. Look at verse eight with me. What does Jesus say? He says, I am, I am. Where does that come from? That comes from, remember the Old Testament, Exodus, where God encounters Moses, and Moses says, what's your name, God? And he says, I am that I am. What is God saying about who he is? That he exists, that he is. <laughs> I am the Alpha and the Omega, the, the, that's the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter, the omega, and everything in between, everything that exists is because of him, says the Lord. And what does he say? Who is, the present tense, who was, past tense, and who is to come, the Almighty. We sang this morning, holy, holy are you God. God's not like us. He's not a time-bound creature. He's the creator. <laughs> He's above time, he's beyond time, he's infinite, he's glorious in every way. And so we have to read this book understanding that we won't fully understand everything past, present, and future, but there is one who does, who is, and his name is the I Am. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who is, who was, and is to come. Look at verse uh, 18, John encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. That's a, another reference that he, he knows the beginning, he knows the end, he, he is beyond the beginning, he's beyond the end, he's above everything that we experience as created creatures. He is the creator, he's above us, he's beyond us. Verse 18, I am the living one. <laughs> life comes from him, he is life, all life comes from him. I am, he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. That's a reference to the resurrection, his overcoming of death, and I hold the keys of death and hates. Here's how I want us to view what we're going to learn through Revelation. Not from what we can understand or perceive as time-bound creatures, how we interpret the past or try to predict the future. I, in, in one sense, it's, a, that's, it's foolishness. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a temptation that we try to somehow be like God, but we're, we have to recognize we're not God. God is God. Jesus is God. We're the created ones. And so here's how we need to think about Revelation in the present tense. <laughs> as we, as the church, are living in this present age, we can trust one who is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who is, who was, and is to come. <laughs> God knows. <laughs> He's in control. He is over our time. He is over your time. He's over all time. This changes how we read this letter. This should produce in us peace, <laughs> This should produce in us trust and encouragement. Remember, John is writing to the churches, and he tells that they are brothers and companions in suffering. 
we live in a time of difficulty, suffering, hardship. The early church lived in a time during the Roman Empire when Christians were severely persecuted and uh, some, of the, um, some of the Caesars of that time, Nero, he would actually literally light Christians on fire alive to light up his palace. Christians were fed to the lions. They were mistreated. They were not allowed to participate sometime in business. They weren't allowed to, uh, they were, all kinds of, of slander was done against them. And so John is writing to Christians who are suffering, being persecuted, being imprisoned. John is being imprisoned himself. Christians have always been mistreated in this world. And if I think about our own time, there's a hostility against Jesus. And there's a hostility against the church. There's a hostility against the things of God. And this is going to be a major theme in this letter, in this book to the church. That this is a time of tension. It's a time of struggle. It's a time of suffering. But there's encouragement. There's hope. And our lives <laughs> matter in a bigger story that God is doing through us, through his people, through the church. And this is a letter of encouragement and hope, even in suffering, that God is on the throne, that he is doing something in us, and he's doing something in our world. It's a letter to the church of what it means and how we can be witnesses in this dark world, in a world that is angry and rebelling against God who doesn't want anything to do with God and has said no to God, has said, we don't want a creator. We don't need a creator. We will become our own gods. We will decide what's right or wrong. We will determine what is good. We live in a world that is fighting against God and is fighting against Jesus. This world hates Jesus. Jesus said, this world hates me and it will hate you as well. We should not be surprised by that. So how do, we, how do we live as witnesses of a reality that God wants to bring blessing, that he wants to bring salvation, that he wants to bring healing, that he wants to bring hope in this world, in this present time? And yes, there is a future where this will become a reality, but God is I am. I don't want us to miss a central point this morning as we begin this letter. This letter isn't primarily just about end times. It's about something much deeper that will affect the past, the present, and the future. I remember when I was in Minnesota, um, I befriended a man who was um, uh, owner of a hotel, and, uh, and I befriended him because we put a lot of people in his hotel helping uh, different people who were struggling and so I got to know him and uh, one day I went to go visit him he was very hospitable he invited me for lunch and so I stayed with lunch and uh, I was asking him about himself he was from a part of India where uh, there are a sect of Hinduism called Jainism so he, sell, he, he had a, a religious system that really based on dietary laws and certain gods and so I was asking him about what he believed and, and he said do you want to see my gods? I said, yeah, I, I want to see your gods. <laughs> and so he took me back through a, a little hallway, and, and he had a, a closet, and he opened his closet. 
And inside the closet, he had, it was, it was beautifully decorated, but he had some idols, some, some, some images of his gods. And then he had like some candles, and he also had a place to bring offerings, where he would bring food offerings to his gods. And, uh, and so he showed me, and he described a little bit of what worship looked like, and then he closed the closet door, and we walked out and kind of went on with life. And I think that can kind of strike us as kind of funny or, or even maybe kind of silly and say, like, how, how could someone put their gods in a little closet and bring offerings? But tell you what, this week as I've been meditating on Revelation chapter 1, that, that picture came to my mind. And kind of the conviction came to my heart as a pastor, as, as a follower of Jesus. And as I think about this letter to a church, how do we view Jesus? And are we guilty sometimes of treating Jesus like this man treated his gods, where we kind of have Jesus in a closet <laughs> in our lives? And when we need him, we, we open the door and we, we, we ask for help or, or, or we, we give him attention, but then we, we close the door and we kind of go on with our lives. And we kind of just live with him in a closet. And we open it when we need him and we close it when we don't. And that conviction, that reality of how often we think about, how we think about who God is, struck me in comparison to the picture that we're given in Revelation chapter 1, where God says to John, look, <laughs> like, how do we see? How do we see God? How do we see who Jesus is? Like, that's the, that's the central question <laughs> in this letter, that's the central important thing we got to grapple with as the church, as witnesses, as the body of Christ. Who is this that we follow? Who is this that we worship? Who is this that we give our lives to? Who is he? Who is Jesus? And what we should really think about when we come to Revelation is not what we can figure out, but who Jesus is. It's a, it's a revelation of Jesus, of who he is. And as I thought about that picture of opening the closet door, closing the closet door, it struck me as I read this picture of Jesus being revealed to John, that John fell like a dead man before him. He was odd. <laughs> he said, holy, he said, this is beyond me. <laughs> You see, God isn't just a, a little personal God for us. He is the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord. He is the one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. So how do we see Jesus? How do we look at who Jesus is? And I love that he says, don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm here to bless you. I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you. But he is beyond us. He is God. And in this description of Jesus, so many things stand out to me. And, and there, there's so many images and symbols that John tells us that these symbols, we're not to see them um, only on a, on, on a, on a level of, of where, um, like he tells us that the church, that these lampstands are a picture of what the church really is. These are symbols that help us understand more deeply. They unveil, they, they tell us the reality of what things are really are like. And so what is the reality of what Jesus is really like? We hear that he is a voice. 
He speaks. He is the word. It's described as a trumpet, as rushing waters. It's powerful. It gets our attention. We're told that he is the Lord of the church, and not just Lord of the people of God, that he is among the people of God. He is with the people of God. He is fully man and fully God. We're told that he has a robe that's white that displays righteousness. There's a golden sash, which is a picture of royalty. He is a king. His hair is white. It's a picture of wisdom, of glory, of splendor. His eyes are like blazing fire. He's, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He sees all things. Nothing is hidden from him. His feet are like bronze, glowing of firmness. This is a picture from the book of Daniel, a contrast with the human kingdoms that are weak, that are like clay. His feet are strong. He is the king. He is the ultimate king of all kingdoms. And we're told in his right hand, in his strong hand, are the messengers of the church, the ones who proclaim the gospel. And out of his mouth is a double-edged sword. The most powerful instrument is God's word. As Hebrews says, it divides bone from marrow. It penetrates through the way things are. And his face is like the sun, shining in all of its these pictures help us to see who he really is. <laughs> I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So this week, um, maybe you've struggled with anxiety. Maybe you've been worried about things that are presently happening. Maybe you're worried about things in the future. There's unknowns. <laughs> Maybe you're reading the newspaper and you're saying, boy, this world is a mess, <laughs> right? Maybe you're looking at your own family and you're saying, how, how are we going to get through this? Maybe you're looking at your workplace and there's anxiety. I've struggled with some anxiety this week. Just the other day, I went for a walk in the morning and I was struggling with a situation. And I started meditating on this picture of Jesus. And it made my situation seem really small. And so the question, I think the application for us as we hear these words is, is will we look at Jesus? Will we trust him? Will we believe in who he is as the Lord of all, as the Alpha and the Omega? That he holds us, <laughs> he holds our church, he holds all things in his hands. Will we look at Jesus? We pray with me, Lord, thank you for this day. It is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, and my heart is just full because we can be together in the Spirit, worshiping you in the church. And John wanted to be there, but you gave him something that will help us as your people. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Lord, this world is marked by fear and anxiety. But Jesus, you said, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you. Help us to see you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. 
Do you know that all this dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that we could see it all made new? We do. Let's stand and sing this. Answer this question. Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? It is. The glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The line of Judah who conquered the grave He's David true and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave And is he worthy? blessing and honor and glory. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of And all God's people said, He Does Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And is Jesus our Messiah forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with He's coming back, and He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The light of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David too. The slave of every people and tribe, every nation and tongue. He has made us a kingdom of priests to God to reign with His Son. And is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory?
of all blessing and honor and glory is he worthy is he worthy is he God bless you all. Be sure to come join us Wednesday night for Bible studies and fellowship. And